I'm your host, Eric Stavney, for this Nordic on Tap podcast of life stories, folk tales, and music of the Nordic countries, Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Sápmi, and the Faroe Islands, with contributions from folks west of the Atlantic as well. I don't know about you, but I've always enjoyed that part of history museums where they've had some artist create a scene showing how they did things in the past in some indigenous culture from long ago, from something in our more recent history in the United States, for example, like the site of a town or perhaps the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. These scenes are in large wall murals or on exhibit signs, not only in museums or national landmarks, but also at historical markers alongside the road, explaining what you can see in front of you, or what you would have seen on that spot decades or centuries before if you'd been there. How does an artist take objects or records of events preserved from the past and figure out how to create some kind of tableau that shows the use of those objects and everyday life of that culture or civilization at the time. You might have the preserved objects from an archaeological dig, but you don't have the people. You've got maybe a guess about what people wore and maybe some records on how they lived or worked. Fortunately, these days, there are groups who are reenacting the past, thanks to Tor Heyerdahl and others who pioneered the field of experimental archaeology. We've learned how one might build and sail a balsa or reed boat across the ocean, or how to create flint arrowheads, or how to build a dwelling covered with sod. All of that by actually trying to do it using the tools they had at the time. Among these great reenactment groups are those who explore and study Viking life. Where I live, the local Viking group does have mock battles, but they also have village encampments and people dressed as villagers doing blacksmithing, carving, grinding grain, weaving bands, sewing shoes, you name it. I love it. In this podcast, we'll meet artist Sven Lindauer from Cody, Wyoming, who decided to publish his own book about Viking culture using what he could find from research papers, from archaeologists, from museums, and he recreated scenes of everyday life with real people in order to paint them. I interviewed Sven Lindauer by Zoom in order to learn more about who this guy was and what was his journey that led to creating this amazing book that he published last year in 2020? To start with, can you tell us a little bit about your background, your start in art, how you got interested in history, how you grew up? You can- sure. Uh, good morning, Eric. Thank you uh, for taking time to put this together. Well, you know, I've been working professionally as a painter for 40 years. I started my, uh, my professional career when I was 19. I was in art school uh, still at the time. Um, I went to Columbus College of Art and Design, and uh, the initial plan was to go into magazine illustration, which I did do as far as the history and the interest in history was concerned. It it was always there. Uh, You know, growing up in Wyoming, of course, the Western history was very instrumental in, in my life growing up. When I started working in illustration, 
I was able to do many different themes, which helped me to diversify with my work. Eventually in my career, I met a gentleman uh, who was a very famous uh, Western artist. He started out as an illustrator. His name was John Clymer. John Clymer was doing uh, covers for Saturday Evening Post in the 40s and 50s, about the same time Norman Rockwell was working. At that point in time, he uh, was becoming well-known for doing uh, the historical West, the, the fur trader in the United States. So his wife would do historical research, and they would travel and go from location to location, and John would paint small studies, oil studies on location. So I had already been aware of his work, and when I met him, he asked me to come study with him. That was a changing point in my career and that's when I decided that I was going to start to really focus on history. I owned my first gallery in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And at that time, I had been doing historical work for the United States Marshal Service Museum. And I had two gentlemen come in and they were looking at my work and they uh, realized that everything that I was painting had been heavily researched and was factual. So they said, well, you know, would you like to come to work for us? And they were with National Geographic Television. And so... My career went to that next point where uh, traveling to different places around the world and painting ancient history for many different cultures for the television show for their documentaries. Did that uh, for about 10 years. I woke up one morning and I thought, you know, I would love to do something new that hasn't been done. And why not focus on uh, my ancestry? So being of Scandinavian ancestry on both sides, it just, the whole theme just kind of came to me. And I thought, well, gee whiz, you know, what... What is something that would be very important to focus on first with, with the Nordic culture and to get the, uh, the, more of the truth out there of how these people really were? And that was through their art and crafts, which eventually then led them to becoming merchants and taking them to different parts of the world where they colonized. So, you know, I did my, my research on the themes, but I also looked for anything else like this that had ever been done. And I wasn't finding anything. If I Googled something, all I found was a dark story about bloodshed and barbarians. And I knew that that really wasn't true. That's, that's not what this culture was about. So crazy enough, I took the whole project on and decided to do a significant amount of paintings for the first book, research, write the text, put it together and publish it myself, which I have done. This is something that I, uh, I've been working on for almost seven years. And so we were pretty excited to finally go to print. Can you back up a little bit and talk a bit about how you do your research um, and, and factual? And then how, how would that translate into painting? Well, most research material that a person finds is quite dry and matter of fact. I started out with uh, looking at academic papers and reading papers written by archaeologists and, and historians, rather than going to a series of books that were already done, found that there were a lot of conjecture uh, in those books that weren't really heavily researched, I didn't, I didn't think. So I went straight to the academians, Academia EDU is a website where they uh, upload their academic papers. And you know these are folks that have been studying for many, many years. They're on the archaeological digs. They're in the dirt. They have their hands on all these artifacts and all these things that they find. And I thought, well, how, how much uh, more could you get to the truth than studying what these, these people have written? And of course, archaeology changes as time goes on. More things are found and more is, is learned and theories are changed, of course. But I tried to stay to, you know, the basics of it. 
And so I knew that once I read this material, people will fall asleep if they start the first paragraph in a research paper oftentimes. And that's nothing against the, uh, the writer themselves, but they're just more concerned about being concise with the facts. They're not worried about it being a great read. So then uh, you know, I decided that we needed to put a spin on things and give it a little bit more of an interesting uh, presentation. My friend and editor Vivian Koala in California uh, stepped in on that and put the spin on things. We hope that it's a great read. We've been getting uh, good feedback on it. And it's important to have that with uh, the images as well. Although, you know, I tried to keep the images as detailed as possible so that you could just take a look at each painting and realize that there's more to this than just, just a story. Now, I'm envisioning, I know that you worked for National Geographic TV, but I'm thinking of my own experience with National Geographic, and maybe the article is on the Miwok Native Americans, or maybe it's about a, some ancient culture, and there's usually a map or a big foldout, and here's this tableau of people gathering grass. Or do, Is that the kind of thing we could picture that, that you've done? Is that what your paintings are like? Yes, yes. Uh, basically, uh, what I was doing was I was going to these locations where a specific moment happened in ancient history, and I'd meet with the archaeologist and the historian, and then they'd say, well, you know, this is kind of the spot where this incident happened. So then I would do an oil sketch on location, gather all of their information, come back, spend a couple months on a final painting, and then that image would air during the, the television show, during the documentary or uh, you know, whatever type of production it was, it would air for a few seconds so that people got a glimpse of that particular time period and those incidents that happened. So it sounds like you actually did travel to these sites personally so that you could feel the, the scene, so to speak. I, I did, and uh, to, to breathe the air, uh, to feel the sun or the wind or the rain in those areas at the time, it was instrumental to what I tried to bring to each painting, you know, and, and uh, dealing with individuals, people, for example, that's why I chose to do photo shoots with specific individuals for each painting in the book, because I knew that uh, in order to, to uh, capture the personality, uh, the feeling, uh, as well as locations, uh, it was really important to be working with real people rather than fabricating it out of my mind. From so, how did you how did you select those folks? How did you approach them? Well, it's interesting. There's another friend of mine in, in, in the area here that was a very well known Western artist, and he did a lot of portrait type paintings. His works in the Smithsonian, actually. Now his name was James Bama. I asked him one time, I said, gosh, where do you find your people? And he says, you know, he says, I just meet him in the grocery store. And honestly, that's exactly how I met many of the folks that are in this book. I just would run into someone somewhere and I would say, you know, I can tell that you're Scandinavian or Celtic Germanic descent and you would be perfect for this particular theme. Would you consider modeling for me? For the most part, I was fortunate with the, everyone being on board. I mean, I I really didn't have anyone turn me down. And so because of that, uh, and like uh, what I was saying earlier, that we, there is also a great backstory to each painting because these are specific individuals with a history. For example, one gentleman in the book, the woodcarver, he is a, a young fellow who lives in the area. He's in three of the paintings actually, but he actually is a woodcarver in real life. And in the painting, he has a pet fox there with him, bringing a mouse to him, you know, 
And in real life, this gentleman has a pet fox. He's had a pet fox. So these these are some real things that I tried to weave into the story. So do you do you gather photos when you set a yeah. tableau or do sketches? Well, yeah, how do you do I, that? I uh, get together the historical clothing. Many of this uh, that I have is all based on finds and archaeological digs. And there are people uh, who are reenactors now, uh, seamstresses who actually create this clothing. As, and that's a whole other world that's going on uh, on uh, the planet now with the reenactors to this particular culture. You see a lot of festivals popping up and a lot of people are making these crafts. So there are a lot of people that are working today trying to resurrect some of these crafts in the book. But what I would do is I'd get the clothing together uh, and, and have the individual either outside or in my studio with the proper lighting. And then I would do a photo shoot with them, hundreds and hundreds of photographs for each painting. And then I would compile those and work from them. So it was really, uh, there's a lot involved, quite a bit involved. So the clothing and jewelry even, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you, you supplied them. Right. Yeah. And what, what I couldn't find, then I went back to the research material and then I would implement that in the painting in place of what I couldn't find. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was asking like your blacksmith scene. There's a number of tools in the scene that maybe you didn't actually have right there in the, to give them to use. So you brought those in from your research or other photos? I did. And, and actually, uh, that particular painting, the village builders, also the painting, the ship builders that displays certain tools. I knew about those, first of all, because I did all the research and, and I was involved in construction from a very early age. So I knew about hand tools and tools used for specific things. And uh, that really helped me in my research and what I could implement because I knew that, for example, in the shipbuilder, the planks of the ship normally were white oak was, was used oftentimes for the, the planking on the ship. And that was split a certain way using a certain type of wedge and a certain type of tool. Um, so yeah, I, I gathered everything together that I could on that end too, to make sure that it was factual. And, and many of those tools that you'll see in the paintings are still used today. You mentioned something about seeing folks in the grocery store or whatever, and mm -hmm. identifying in your mind that they were of Scandinavian descent. Can you talk a little bit about what you're looking at? Well, Oh, you mean as far as my research? It physiology and anatomy, you know, skull shape, whatever it is that you oh, appeals to always, you. Yeah, it was always, uh, it wasn't just uh, the uh, physiology of a person alone. It was how they were moving and, and if they were talking, how they sounded. And as I kind of just compiled all those things together and you know, I had a lot of years of, of uh, anatomical research. And then as orthopedic trainer, I've worked with a lot of people with, with injuries and that type of thing, you know, so I could see how a person was moving and if it looked like they had an injury or it looked like I have the personality that lent itself to the theme that I was trying to convey. There's a, a lady that's in a couple of the paintings, uh, she's in the musicians and she's playing an instrument and she's in the foreground and you see her smiling, that's that lady's personality in real life. I didn't have to fabricate that. When I met her and I saw her, she was just, uh, her personality just shone brightly and it was, was perfect to convey the theme. But as far as kind of spotting people and knowing them, it, yeah, there's a long list of things you know, I researched and, and uh, was remembering when I spotted somebody. And part of it too was, was a feeling. If, if someone looked the part, 
but yet the personality didn't fit what I was trying to convey, then I didn't, then, then I didn't ask them to, to model for me. You know, unless you're working with a lot of actors and actresses, most folks are not comfortable with being in front of a camera. So oftentimes we had to spend a lot of time just uh, to get them to relax and to think about the theme and tell, you know, they actually became the person in the painting in their mind. And once they relaxed and they went through a whole series of uh, motions, uh, then everything clicked Then everything just came together. That's really interesting. You essentially cast the mm -hmm. folks in your, and, 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 the, and this isn't a film. These are going to be stills. Yes. And so that you're focusing on even personality, which I'm hearing you're saying comes through. Yeah. And, and again, maybe uh, most people don't understand why I went in such great depth on that end of it too. But I knew that if you're going to paint someone in a theme, for that theme to be understood, not just believed, but understood, you have to convey personality. You know, when I shot the film, I was using a motor drive. So that's why I would shoot hundreds of photographs because so many frames per second, it just would eventually you would be able to capture someone's movement and personality the way that would work in the painting. Yeah, it is just <laughs> like making a film, huh? Yes, uh, yes, yeah. it was. And, and, and that's the thing, like you were saying, the stills, uh, every movie production company shoots stills along with the moving film when they, they uh, are doing a production. I've worked on several of them. And uh, the stills are great, but uh, it still doesn't capture the personality of an individual like when you're having the movement. So to try to do that in a painting, it's pretty involved. A lot of preliminary work spent before I ever hit the panel with a brush. I had got your book in front of me. What, how could we describe to our listeners, you know, as you open this thing up, what, what will they see? Well, the first thing they'll see the, the color, you know, it's a very colorful book. Uh, and then we've implemented a lot of graphic work borders around the text that have a specific carving style in the border that dates back to a certain time period in the, during the Viking age in the early times. So we have all these kind of little side notes, little hidden things in there that all, you know, the, the font and the, that we used in text is in its own way, very has movement to it. It's not a typical font. It's very easy to read, but yet it has a whole different character and flavor to it itself. You know, the whole book is about being a creation and being something artful that tells the story as well of a very misunderstood culture done in a manner that leads toward a day in the life uh, versus myths and legends and things like that. It's, but it's very colorful. And we have a lot of people that are, are, have been purchasing them as gifts for friends and family because it is, it is a collectible and it's, uh, you know, the binding that we used on the book is a library binding. It's very important because the pages are heavy and they're full of color. And so in 10 years from now, you know, the book won't fall apart. The actual printing of the book as well was important to make it something that didn't just convey a message, but it was something that people carry around and have on their coffee table and bring it to show a friend. So yeah, I wanted it to really connect with a lot of different people, not just folks interested in history or even Scandinavian history or art or whatever. I wanted it to really be a message to, to come to people on a lot of different levels. So I, yeah, that might follow up with, you know, who who your audience was that you were really shooting for? How old are they? Who are they? Well, I wanted to make it uh, reach 
a, a huge range, age range of people, you know, adults, definitely, yes, but children as well. Something that grandfather or grandmother could sit down and read to the grandchildren, something that the grandchildren would remember that their parents or grandparents read to them. And then as they got older, they kept the book around and said, yeah, you know, I remember when grandma or grandfather or my folks were reading this to me as a child to tell me about my ancestry. So as far as a, a range of ages, you know, we really wanted to be able to connect with everyone. Uh, we've also had educators come to us and say, we really want to use this book in the classrooms, which I'm pretty uh, excited to hear that. Yeah, I'm finding your text to be a little more sophisticated. I, I see it aiming at mid to late high school in terms of reading level, because you speak like a historian. Yeah. Obviously, isn't a little kid's book in terms of the writing. But like mm -hmm. you say, picture books speak everybody's language, right? Yeah. Yes. So if there's 21 paintings, mm -hmm. there's obviously more than 21 pages. You begin with the master picture. But since I don't know how big these things are when you paint them, but Quite you large. do these yeah. pullouts mm -hmm. in the successive pages to focus on areas within that picture. I knew that if we broke down sections of each painting into vignettes and were able to explain the story segmentally a little bit more, it would be even more of a fun type of product for people to really get involved with and say, yeah, you know, I don't know what that thing is in the boat there, but by golly, now I do, because this next page explains the whole uh, thing. It's, it was a compass and they used it to navigate. So yeah, I had one large uh, image. People, they read and and look through it and then any questions in their mind they flip the next page and then they see uh, how we dissected each painting and got down to important little elements as i understand it this is just book number one right it is it is tell, tell me more about the series <laughs> i wanted the art and crafts to be the first and foremost in this series about the nordic culture because i thought that it would be uh, initially something people could connect with more so i thought that would be a great first theme and then in my research, you know, I realized that there's so much more to the Nordic culture uh, that has not been uh, talked about. The next books in this series will cover, will be about sport and agriculture in ancient Scandinavia. Many of the sports that people uh, are involved in today, like skiing, for example, in, in um, the northern part of the world, it started out because it was a form of transportation. It's how people got around. It's how they went out to procure cure food. It's how they got to the waterline to be able to fish, to bring home food for the family. And then uh, the agriculture was very important because these folks inherently were farmers, craftspeople, and you know, hunters, fishermen, the whole gamut. And it was all about survival and community uh, organization that came out of survival. And that uh, is why these sports that uh, folks are involved in now the origin was was a, a practical origin. So we're going to cover that in the second book. The next book will be about politics and the all thing, which goes back to uh, most people don't realize the democratic system of justice in the world today, the English parliament was based on the Nordic all thing in which the uh, chieftain and the queen were judge and jury. The all thing happened once or twice a year in certain areas. And it was a time when people would gather 
and they would take care of important things that needed to be done in the community, but it was also a gathering time for people to come together with their wares or the food that they make or uh, the clothing that they made. And uh, so the all thing was a great gathering. So the, the, the third book will be about that and all the things involved with it. Book following that will be about love, life, and language, everyday life, relationships, language, the written language, the rune system, something that was very complex, but what was once thought as something barbaric and that really didn't mean anything, but quite fascinating how complex the, uh, that system writing uh, was. So the, the next, of course, book after that will be about world exploration, not world, um, you know, not raids, not warfare, but about the, the areas uh, that they travel to. It is a known fact, uh, it's not myth, that the Norse were mining copper in the Great Lakes 500 years before Columbus was even born. To study the Algonquin Indian language, the Algonquin Indian language has many Norse words in it. Moccasin is a Norse word. With my research, I find out more and more, and I go, gee whiz, it's like an onion. Then all these layers, some of these things people know about, have heard about, some of it has been considered myth. So what comes to mind is they lasted for four or 500 years or more. That suggests that they were pretty adaptable, pretty resilient culture. Absolutely. Absolutely. And they knew that that was part of survival. Uh, they were always thinking about family and community. And in order to keep family and community alive and intact and safe, one had to adapt. I brought up resilience because it's actually a hot topic these days in reference to, you know, living in the time of the virus. And it just occurs to me, what lessons can we take from Viking culture that might be applicable today? Well, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, when it comes down to survival and being able to move through and deal with difficult times, it all begins with the personality. It all starts with the mind and being positive and being optimistic uh, and knowing that no matter how difficult things get, there is a way to survive and there is a way to move through this. As dark as it may seem, we can still have fun right in the middle of it as we continue to survive and, and even thrive during dark times. And it all begins with the psyche. It all begins with that original thought that it is possible. So how could I get a copy or listeners get a copy of the art and crafts of ancient Scandinavia? Where would we go? Uh, yeah. And even find out more about you. Well, first of all, uh, my website, lindauerart.com, L-I-N-D-A-U-E-R-A-R-T.com. You just pop into my website and on the uh, left side menu, you will see if you scroll down a page for the art and crafts of ancient Scandinavia, you scroll down and you hit buy now and it'll take you right to PayPal. And that is if uh, you, know, you want to purchase one book, if people want to buy several, which many have been doing, all they have to do is email me at that email address on my website to order several at a time because the shipping cost, of course, is going to change. If you order three or four at a time, you get a better deal on, on the shipping versus one. Yeah. Thank you very much, Sven. Yeah. I, I want to thank you for spending time with me and we know how to get your book and what's behind it. Makes it really fascinating. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's an honor and uh, thanks for your time and uh, glad to hear some uh, feedback from folks once they get the book and what they think of it. Very good. Thank you. Thanks, Eric.
That's our show for this episode. Thanks for listening. Please do write us with ideas, feedback, or just to say hello at NordicOnTap, all one word, at gmail.com. You may already know you can listen to us through any of the major podcasting services, including Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or directly at NordicOnTap, all one word, dot podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, dot com. Till nästa gång, I'm Eric Stavney, and you're listening to Nordic on Tap. Farvel and Viseas. and I can agitate for getting you to be an exhibition oh, at the Nordic because be, we, oh, that's uh, fantastic. I don't know how that's, much influence I have, but you know, I, again, it's got to start not, somewhere. Exactly. You, you may have more than what you realize. All you have to do is present the idea and sometimes it kind of unfolds in its own way. So, right.